This is Salt and Spine. I spent a lot of time thinking about being in Rome and what that, how that impacted me, what I liked about it, and then kind of the thread of the type of food that the places that I've returned to over and over again have in common. Hi there, Brian Hogan-Stewart here, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, stories behind cookbooks. You just heard from today's guest, Renee Erickson. Now, Renee is a chef and restaurateur in Seattle, Washington, and the author of two cookbooks. She grew up in Seattle and was going to the University of Washington for art when a job at a local restaurant, Boat Street, led to the opportunity to purchase it. And before she knew it, she was a restaurant owner, and her empire has since expanded to a number of establishments around the Seattle area. Today, Renee is a leading voice in the hospitality industry. She implemented a $15 minimum wage at her establishments five years before the city of Seattle mandated it. And she's also a beloved chef and author. In fact, Bon Appetit magazine has compared her to, quote, culinary doyens of the past, like MFK Fisher, Elizabeth David, and Julia Child, saying that Renee Erickson is that cook for this new generation. We're thrilled to have Renee join us today to talk about her books, including her latest book, Getaway, Food and Drink to Transport You. It comes a number of years after her much-beloved first cookbook, A Boat, a Whale, and a Walrus. We have a great conversation for you today, and we have several excerpted recipes from Getaway by Renee Erickson, which you can access by subscribing to the Salt and Spine Substack. So let's head now to our virtual studio, where Renee Erickson joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Renee. How are you? Thank you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine. Hello, Brian. I am very well. It's sunny here in Seattle, so I'm pretty happy about that. Well, we're thrilled to have you to talk about um, your latest cookbook, Getaway, which I'm super excited about. It's beautiful. Um, And also, I'm a huge fan of your first cookbook, I have to Uh. say. a cookbook stand in my kitchen and my wife, I told her I was talking with you today and this is my default cookbook. If I'm not cooking actively from a book, this is the one that goes on the stand in my kitchen oh, um, because it's so, so beautiful. Great. I love it. Thank you. Um, so thrilled to have you on the show and we'll start just by talking a little bit about you and then and more about um, your newest book in a bit. But I know you grew up in the Seattle area, right? I think Woodenville, is that where Correct. you were born? Yeah, mm-hmm. I was born in Bellevue, about- but yeah. Oh, okay, but grew yeah. up in in Woodenville, Seattle area. Mm-hmm. And can you talk a bit about the f- role that food played in your life too, as a child, and and how what interest you took in food as a kid? So, if you're from the Northwest, we kind of uh, describe where I grew up as the East Side, which is basically the East Side of Lake Washington from Seattle and um, Woodenville uh, in the '70s, which was when I was um, '70s and '80s as a kid, um, was still very um, rural. So it was a there was a fair amount. There's still a fair amount of farms actually. They, there's a, a valley that's really fertile that has had. Um, people growing food for quite a while, but, um, you know, generally speaking, you know, it's just, it was the suburbs essentially, (laughs) um, and has grown to be even like way more, you know, packed and dense. It's, it's real close to where Microsoft is. So there's a lot of people that have moved out there. Um, but my family, um, my mom in particular, she really, um, she, she's, she stayed home with us for tell us probably like 10, I would say. And she, um, loved to garden. So we had, um, and my dad was a landscaper, so we had two and a half acres 
and uh, a big garden with fruit trees. And, you know, we grew tomatoes, beans, you know, the usual kind of American garden, strawberries, lots of strawberries. And, um, and we, of course, had chores. So a lot of that in the summertime was um, tending to things in the garden. I think we were maybe a little less um, helpful in that I remember kind of eating my way down the strawberry row, not really weaning, but um, yeah. it, you know, like the, the, the vegetables in the garden played a big role in our life and that my mom would can a lot of things, um, you know, canned beans, canned peaches, pears, um, not like tomato sauce sometimes, but it's still a little cold here. So tomatoes don't, big tomatoes don't grow very well, but um, little sure. tomatoes do. Um, but Eastern Washington, which is on the other side of the mountains is, is essentially like high desert. So it's really hot in the summer. So we were able to get peppers and tomatoes and fresh things like that as well. So those would end up being, um, you know, kind of a big part of our, our summer foods anyways. Um, and then, uh, being near the, um, Salish sea, or, um, it's also called the Puget sound, um, Uh which is where the cover of my book, um, the second book is shot. It's at actually a, a cabin that my parents had that we recently um, rebuilt because it was a shack, like you could see through the walls. So, which okay. was awesome as a kid because you could like lay in your bed and look out and see, you know, whatever was happening in the fireworks or something. But it was a, right. it's a very dreamy place. It's right on the water, um, and we were able to go crabbing and fishing, and you know, like for a while there was this guy who would show up in a boat and honk his horn and he would be selling um, freshly cooked shrimp. So in paper bags, so we would sit on the beach and eat shrimp. And so there was definitely a lot of um, local delicious foods that, you know, I think now looking back, it was like, you know, just so lucky and fortunate to be able to have that, like to go and get crab, you know, Dungeness crab that's, you know, today at the grocery store, it was $43 a pound. And I'm looking at it being like, Oh, you know, like how, you know, how does anyone buy this? So you know, lots right. of good, you know, lucky, you know, being in the Pacific Northwest, that's, you know, if you're lucky, you can get things free, you know, like foraging and that sort of stuff. So, yeah. And so you, you were, you know, exposed to all of that culinarily as a kid and exposed to sure. seafood as a kid. And then professionally, you, I know you originally, you were studying art, working at the, mm-hmm. not working, going to the University of Washington, studying yep. art. And, and working in, in restaurants, specifically at, at Boat Street, to, to basically like pay your bills, right? Through college. Is that kind of where you were yeah. at that period in time? Absolutely. I had um, the very ubiquitous college job of working at a coffee bar, which everyone, I think, in the Northwest had. Sure. Um, and, then, um, and then I also, uh, Boat Street, it was on Boat Street and it was it was on campus essentially. It was like kind of like down by the water, but still campus. And uh-huh. um, I drove by and thought it was cute and I was needing another job. And so I just stopped in and left my resume, which um, at the time was like my phone number. I think there wasn't much <laughs> to put on a coffee and, and I'm a student and right. um, turns out it was a really, a, a girlfriend from, and I didn't know she was working there. Um, but a girlfriend that I grew up with was kind of, overseeing it. So like immediately got hired, which is, you know, good or bad for, I mean, good for me. But at the time I was like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, but um, (laughs) yeah. So just, you know, worked in, worked at Bow Street and then eventually bought it, which was just wild. So. Yeah. I mean, you bought it when you were 25, you Mm -hmm. you know, you hadn't been to culinary school. Can you kind of paint the picture for us of, was it, 
in my mind, I'm envisioning is like you're kind of an overnight restaurateur, right? Is, <laughs> is that true? Is that fair? Uh, I was an overnight, I mean, I wouldn't say restaurateur. I was an overnight person that um, was foolish enough to like say yes to taking over a very charming and adored cafe that um, Susan Kaplan, who was the, um, who opened it and kind of was the you know mastermind behind the idea of Boat Street. Um, she was trying to move on. And so uh, after I had gone to Europe um, and lived in Rome for a semester and then came back to work at Boat Street. And I, at that point, was not interested in owning it. I didn't even know it was like even an option. I just liked being there. And um, yeah. and so I ended up like just taking over more roles. So I started there as a server, thought I was terrible at it. So I asked if I could be a baker, you know, so I would go in the morning and make bread pudding and, you know, make all the desserts and prep things for lunch and, you know, just do the things that you do in a restaurant. But, you know, as now as a restaurateur, looking back, like it was such a um, gift to be able to have the opportunity to be able to do those things because it's not normal to let a 24 year old person, you know, take over things or be responsible in that way. So yeah, I got very lucky and I loved it. I, I really, um, the original Boat Street was, I mean, I, if it were still alive, it would be like the greatest restaurant in Seattle just because it was so, um, it felt like it was from another place. It was a shack of a building that had literally had, you know, holes in the roof. We had, you know, like tomato cans that we, that Susan would hang to catch water during service if it was pouring, uh-huh. um, you know, stuff that would never fly now, but at the time, you know, like, so I don't know, just all of the things that were kind of cobbled together to make this place feel like it was, you know, by the water, maybe in France, maybe in new England. Um, sure. and it, you know, like it did it like the original stove was an electric stove and it had four burners and I think three worked, the okay. door on the stove um, didn't really shut. So you had to like bungee cord it to the fridge next. To, I mean, it was just like very rustic. Um, yeah. Which, you know, in hindsight, I think is a really, it's, you know, there, I've, you know, I have, you know, much nicer kitchens now, but um, I think it's, it was a really important way to kind of learn about food because it's, you know, tools and all the gadgets are great, but you know, it still doesn't make your food better if you don't care about, you know, all the sourcing and, you know, the details. So it was a really, um, you know, in hindsight, a really lucky experience for me. So, yeah. yeah. And and what's going through your mind at that point, right? Like you're 24, 25, the opportunity presents itself to buy Boat Street Cafe. You do like, is that your career path at that moment? Like, do you no. envision that you're going to become a person <laughs> with multiple restaurants and now a couple of cookbooks? And like, yeah. how, what are you thinking in that in that period? Um, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm sort of making this up because I don't entirely remember, but um, sure. I do remember asking both my parents and very close friends, um, because I had come home and really wanted to go back to Rome. And so I applied to graduate school thinking that I would be a teacher um, because I didn't think I was like, I wasn't going to make it as like a professional artist, but I wanted to be in the arts and kind of be around artists. And and I had really great teachers growing up in, in the art classes that I took. Um, and so it felt like a really natural um, thing to do because I really felt like it was an important part of my schooling. And 
I asked everyone because I was waitlisted to go. I wanted to go. I applied to Temple University because they had a program in Rome. And so I ended up okay. being put on a waitlist and I wasn't accepted. Um, and so I was waiting to see and Susan wanted to sell the restaurant and kept asking me and like, you know, I just didn't, I just asked everyone that, you know, knew me well. And I was like, what should I do? Should I wait to see if I got into the school or should I buy this restaurant? And so, yeah, so my parents loaned me $10,000 and I bought a restaurant Yeah, <laughs> at 25. So yeah. it was, um, you know, I was terrified essentially. Like I didn't, I lived at home. I, my godfather uh, sold me a truck for a dollar. It was like a beat up shitty Datsun with a, like literally it had a rusted out floorboard. And so like, and it from boat street to my parents' house without traffic is 30 minutes. So it, like midnight, you know, in the winter I'm driving home with, you know, water splashing up underneath my feet. And yeah, yeah I remember putting a, a, I thought I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll splurge and put a, a, a stereo in my car and then it got stolen like a few weeks later. So it was, um, it was thrilling and ridiculous, you know, like there's no reason why it should have happened, but I'm really grateful it did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, we, we now have a number of restaurants under your wing to, to thank for that serendipitous yeah, sort of moment. For sure. Can you talk about transitioning into cookbooks a little bit? So you, you become a restaurateur, you have Boat Street Cafe, you add other <laughs> restaurants to your portfolio. When do you start to think, I should write a cookbook. How does that process that of the first book um, right. look for you? Um, I never thought of writing a cookbook. Someone asked me to. I, I'm oh, okay. not, you uh -huh. know, like I'm, you know, I think I'm like really creative and, and like I work really hard and I love what I do, but I'm not, I don't have this like grand vision, I don't think, you know, or at least, you know, whatever now, eight years ago, it would have been on when I first started the first book. I get ideas and then like somehow like I'll say it out loud and then eventually like there'll be enough people around that like encourage me, but like, I'm not, um, I didn't have a grand plan to write a cookbook basically. Um, and okay. when Susan Roxborough, who is, um, the editor on my first book, she came to Walrus and, you know, sat down and was like, I think you should do this. And so, you know, it took some coaxing. I mean, the second book did too. I think, um, I finally wised up and got a um, agent and Kitty is this like incredible woman and um, super pushy and really positive and very um, confident in what she does. And she did, you know, essentially the same thing. Like, I think you should write a book. And so she would call me weekly and we would talk and, you know, it's, um, it's hard to, for me, at least, I'm sure this is very common um, in writing a book. Like you, such a huge project like this one took almost three years right. um it if it's not i mean for me at least and i can't imagine it being anything else like if it's not something that you're really sure you want to write you know it it you it would be just hell you know it would be torture to do it so yeah. i think to get to the place where you know like in regards to getaway it was you know, you get to a place where you write the um, uh, manuscript and try to get someone to buy it. Um, you know, you have to kind of be like, okay, I can dump two and a half, three years of my life into this. And that for me takes, uh, it's a hard, it's hard to get there because it feels, um, you know, so personal, especially cookbooks tend to be fairly personal. And, um, right. and it's just, you know, you're just, you know, this thing goes live in the world and all of a sudden everyone knows things about you or, I don't know. It's just, it's, 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 uh, it's complicated, you know, like it's more than, it seems like it's just exciting and fun, but it like, I think there's a lot, I remember getting the, when the book arrived, I was like overwhelmed, you know, like 
excited, terrified, you know, like exhausted. Um, sure. You know, so yeah, it's, it, the cookbook thing is, is um, it's really fun and it's really challenging. And of course, when you get it, you know, it's beautiful. And I feel the first book itself was um, really important to me to do what I did where I featured people that had been really important and kind of a similar take on um, this book in that it was more like the places and the people that I've discovered kind of like the next tier of my world outside of just the people in Seattle that have been really important and, and those places too. So can you talk about how the concept for this, this new book came about for getaway because it's, it's six places, one of which is Seattle, (laughs) five of which are not Seattle and are elsewhere around the world that are important to you, but it's, it's, certainly a cookbook, right? There's, there's lots of recipes in here. Some, some could also say it's a a travel guide of sorts. I mean, there's certainly recommendations from you throughout of places that you love in those, those cities. And how did that, that idea sort of come together that this is what the theme would be of your, your newest book? Yeah, it evolved. It started as, um, Kitty and I were, when we would talk, um, I think she wanted to, help me kind of like think about um an i you know like a not a concept but like a an idea to kind of ground the book and the place i kept talking about was just kind of like the idea of when i started um really paying attention to food beyond i mean at both street when i was working there obviously i was but i wasn't it was never like i'm gonna be a cook or i'm gonna work in food it was like i love this place I like, you know, crab cakes that we make, you know, kind of like very basic sort of stuff, not, not this like, you know, vision. And so um, I spent a lot of time thinking about being in Rome and what that, you know, how that impacted me, what, um, what I liked about it. And then kind of the thread of the type of food that the places that I've returned to over and over again have in common. And it started out as um, a smaller book. It was intended to be um, not as big as it is. It's a big book, Um, but it was intended to be kind of um, foods that are, you know, generally inexpensive kind of like things that you would have with friends um, and, and, and kind of initially reflecting on, on me as a student in Rome, like a lot of um, aperitivi style foods were what were, um, you know, affordable. Cause I mean, in Italy, they can often be free if you buy a drink. Um, right. And, um, and then kind of how that, you know, like starting to think about, you know, I'm not a Rome expert by any means, but I have these experiences in other places. And so we sort of, you know, I'm, it was, it was very simple to just be like, okay, these are the six spots that in the last 25 years have made um, big impacts on me as a, as a traveler and as a um, lover of food. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's coming at such a interesting time too, right? Because travel was has essentially been halted for, for an extended period now because yeah. of the pandemic, which of course you started this book long before we knew that would be the world we're living in, but you acknowledge it right at the, at the, 
beginning of the book is you open the book that, you know, this book was created before the COVID-19 crisis hit, you know, before the deaths of Ahmed Arbery, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor spoke to, or sparked a monumentous nationwide reckoning with race. Like how has this book sort of, as the world has changed so much through the past three years, how does it feel to be putting this book out into the world today? where like, we're on the cusp of traveling again and like sure. um, reopening in that sense. Um. You know, it feels, uh, gives me chills a little bit. I think when I think yeah. about the time that we've all been living through is, um, you know, just overwhelming and um, heartbreaking and, and also like really in many ways, like positive and that, you know, I think we're hopefully um, slowed down enough in many ways, or at least like visually, like our worlds have the opportunity to kind of be better and to see the world in a different light um, has been pushed in front of everyone's eyes, which um, sure. is really powerful and I think really important. And, um, and so I think having the book, um, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, like acknowledging all of that, I think was really important just because, you know, it's, it's a, it's a book about, you know, fabulous places and eating and drinking and it's hard to, put that out in the world without saying like all of this is like hugely impacted all of our lives, you know, especially being in restaurants. And, and so, yeah. you know, it's exciting. It's, it's, you know, it's always scary too. I think, you know, having to um, put a book out in the world or really anything, you know, a restaurant, let's say, or whatever, like, I think it's, um, you know, you really, you know, you want people to find it to be, enjoyable you know obviously i want people to think it's beautiful i want people to be um transported if they can be you know especially now where it is impossible really to travel um and we right. we finished all the traveling in 2019 um and i'm so grateful for that because we were gone for about you know five weeks over two different trips and um yeah it, you know the book wouldn't have happened without that so i'm right it, you know it's but it's so, you know, like everything's different and I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm okay with that. I think, you know, it makes me much more grateful for the trips that I've been able to have. Um, and I think far more um, appreciative of what, what hopefully will be coming in the future. So, and, yeah. you know, and the book kind of is a, is a, I think has that kind of hopefulness to it where people can look at it and, you know, dream about stuff. That's, you know, for me, cookbooks, almost entirely tend to be more inspirational in that way where I'm very curious about other places in the world and what and how people live their lives. And um, it's a, such a nice um, way to learn about food. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, not only travel has been impacted the past year, but you're a restaurateur, like restaurants have been significantly impacted by COVID-19 and the book is, is, it's obviously a cookbook. It's full of recipes, but it's also a really restaurant heavy cookbook too, because you talk about a lot of restaurants in these places that have influenced mm -hmm. you. There are specific dishes that, you know, might come from those restaurants or be influenced by restaurants. I know you're also often looked at as a, a leading voice in terms of hospitality, right? Like you, you um, adopted a $15 minimum wage mm -hmm. 
quite a while back, like before it was yeah. frankly popular to do so or, <laughs> or more common to do so. Um, what's sort of your perspective as travels reopening, restaurants are reopening, like what, what this, where we're going to come out of this in terms of for restaurants? Restaurants. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's an interesting point as far as the $15, you know, like the fair, the fair wage act and trying to yeah. really push that into the view of, of the, you know, our, our, our community and our world that we live in, in America. Um, it's, um, it's super hard and frustrating. You know, I think we, I don't know, like restaurants, I feel like there's like two buckets, like fine dining or like sustainable restaurants or local restaurants or all of that. And then all the big chain restaurants and, I think um, getting the federal government involved to mandate this national minimum wage, that's, you know, in some places I think people would argue like it's too much, but it's just like makes my head explode where I just don't think you can really, especially after putting, you know, people's lives kind of in jeopardy during the pandemic. um, Like it's almost never enough money to pay these people because it's stuff that, um, we, I think as a culture have never really prioritized very well, um, from, you know, like your person that makes your coffee to, you know, the person that you is, you know, basically not seen if you're in a fine dining restaurant and, and all of it's so integral to that. And, and literally like we said, we have seen how, you know, it just falls apart when we can't pay people for that. And the, you know, our industry literally yeah. fell apart because we have no, ability, you know, like the restaurants that are, you know, like mine or other restaurants in, in similar, you know, all over the country, just, you know, we were built to not survive anything essentially because of the way that we, um, you know, what we can, what we charge for what we do and, and all of that. And so it's, you know, it's, it's made me think a lot about what our, our culture prioritizes, you know, like who, who's valuable and who's not, we have a ton of work to do, I guess, would be my response to that. And it's going to require, you know, not just the restaurant industry to participate. It's, it is, I think, our entire, you know, service industry and, and every person that lives here to, you know, acknowledge that what the way our food system's been built is, um, you know, undervaluing pretty much anyone that has anything to do with getting you food and making the food and, so I'm hopeful that, you know, this has shown enough, you know, pain and like, it, you know, lit it enough so that it's not, um, you know, it doesn't just go away. You know, we don't just return yeah. to thinking that it doesn't, you know, that people don't deserve to make $15 an hour or a lot more. I mean, $15 an hour in Seattle isn't livable. So it's, you know, right. it's, um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, it's long overdue. And, um, and I'm very, you know, hopeful that it stays in the forefront because it impacts so many people. I mean, it's crazy how many service industry people there are that are unemployed or, you know, worse, like under undervalued and underpaid. Yeah. I hope, I hope that it's a, a change we see too. Let's talk a little bit more about travel since this book is so focused on, on, uh, on places around the world on, on traveling uh-huh. to those places and being there. 
Can you talk a little bit about your approach to traveling, which you outline a little bit in the intro and I think is a, a refreshing and welcome um, <laughs> perspective on travel because we often are, are, you know, getting travel guides and things like this is not like 100 places you must go in Rome and you're 72 hours there, right? right. Like talk oh about how you approach travel and being in some of these places that you feature here. Sure. Um, I mean, for me, I, I, as someone who travels for food, like that's, that's where I start when I'm planning a trip is, I mean, I, and I, this is, I've heard this by, from many people where they, you know, plan their dinners or their farmer's markets or whatever, and then fill in the rest of their trip around it. Um, I think um, having, you know, having some planning is important. Um, Having a slower pace to me is really important. Um, I know a lot of that is scary, you know, like, cause I, I even have anxiety where I'm like, you know, we do have those lists in our mind that are places that we want to get to. Um, But I am definitely a person that like, you know, I've been to Rome I don't know, six or seven times now. I mean, I go and go and go. Cause I, you know, I fall in love with the place and, and, you know, that's not, I don't know if it's smart cause I'm not traveling to a new place all the time if I'm traveling, but um, I find that like spending a, you know, a slower amount of time, you know, like not rushing from like, you know, tourist pl- stop to another gives me an opportunity to see different things. So um that's really important to me, I think, because it's, uh, I mean, I've done the other travel and it's always, I'm just so exhausted and it just frustrates me. So yeah. I've tried really hard to, if I can, I rent an apartment for a week um, and try to cook a little bit. Um, it's not always the case, but um, that to me kind of forces me to slow down because then I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to invest in an apartment, you know, for a week or an Airbnb or whatever, it's, it's um, with the intention that I'm going to try to like go to the fish market and buy some fish or um, sure. do something that feels like it's something I can only do there, you know, especially in regards to food. Um, yeah. Which I love because you just meet the most amazing people. I think that's the part that is the best is, is having these conversations. I mean, like, in fact, like when I went um, in Paris um, the Normandy chapter came out of me going to this oyster place and chatting with the guy who was checking the oysters and it was snowing and freezing cold. And I'm standing out there asking him these questions about oysters. And he like uh-huh. literally thought I was crazy. And at some point it was just like, why are you out? You know, what's wrong with you? And, and so then I said, I was like, Oh, I'm going to go to Normandy, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, Oh, I live in Normandy. Call me like, well, you know, we'll have you over for dinner. And sure. You know, now like, you know, we're very good friends and, his son had come and um, stayed with me for like three months uh, early on in walrus um, days. And, okay. you know, I send friends to, and they stay, you know, with him, Stefan and Martine. And so it's that kind of like stuff that you can't plan that becomes um, so much more enjoyable and part of meeting people that live there and actually know the place and take you to things that you wouldn't have ever seen on your own, right. which feels like such a gift when you, you know, cause it's traveling's hard, you know? So, and just having someone like, um, you know, invite you into their home and cook you dinner is just magic. Like yeah. it's the best. Yeah. So forth. So, so much fun. 
Yeah, and you really the the places here really are places that I think allow are, are welcoming of the type of travel that you embrace and enjoy, right? Like Rome, um, Paris, even London, which is fast paced. I think you can you can travel in the way that you do at a slower pace and taking things mm-hmm. in and, and going with where you're you're drawn. Was there anywhere that was really you wanted to include and you just couldn't or was there like a seventh place that you're like if I could add one more it'd be this place like how'd you end up with this sixth and did you have yeah. to do anything off honestly no like I, I spent some time yeah. thinking mostly about and you know other than Seattle which I think could have gone in the beginning or the end really they're in order of the places that I went to as I was kind of growing up owning Boat Street so you know, uh-huh. pre Boat Street being in Rome. And then I would um, close the restaurant for um, two weeks because it's the only time I could have time off because it was open. It's pretty much, it was open six days a week, but it was, you know, I was always, I was like grocery shopping or something on the seventh. And so, um, so for me to go on a trip, I would close in like January or February and travel. Um, and I would go by myself a lot. I would uh, sometimes get to go on like wine trips um, but that that then spun into the walrus thing, um, going to Normandy. And then after Normandy, like I was curious about, well, I mean, Normandy and England are have great similarities. I mean, they're also very close to each other. Um, yeah. But um, in traveling and like thinking about um, like vegetables and th- that sort of thing, I ended up going to London a few times and it was really, you know, charmed and, you know, fell in love with the food that was being cooked there um, and the influences of, of London. And that was sort of where we started our, um, you know, like our base as far as planning the menu at Whalewinds. And then, yeah. you know, like Baja um, is based on like being from the Pacific Northwest, it being freezing cold here. And there's uh-huh. a four hour plane trip to Mexico that, is like just the greatest thing ever. And I went down to cook a dinner and, and met two like incredible people, Dano and Carla, who are featured in the book. And we just became really good friends. And so we've gone back to visit them every year and, and have, you know, been with them to different areas, um, but mostly in the South. I have been to the Northern part of Baja as well, which we talk about a little bit, but um, I don't know, just the, I think it's the connection to people that are in these places that have really been the most um, impactful to me and kind of hearing how, what their life is like. Cause it is, you know, like, you know, we're all very similar and then it's also totally different. So it's that part of it, like how's people's, how people's food lives are every day is a really um, fascinating thing, you know, and, yeah. and being able to learn about that is really, you know, like driving around with Dano and Baja and, you know, he's like stopping to pick, wild um passion fruit for his cocktails you know and it's just yeah it's just cool it's just fun to get to be with people in that way we'll be right back with the second part of our conversation with renee erickson don't go anywhere hey there cookbook lover are you subscribed to salt and spine on substack if not you should be you'll find our full catalog of podcast episodes featuring more than a hundred in-depth interviews with top authors like nigella lawson jacques pepin samin nosrat and carla hall 
And for just $5 or less per month, you'll also get access to hundreds of exclusive featured recipes from top cookbooks. You'll get early access to our quarterly cookbook club and author dinner parties and so much more. At Salt and Spine, we bring cookbooks to life and we can only do it thanks to listeners like you. Join the Salt and Spine community today and support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content. Find out more at saltandspine.substack.com. And now back to our conversation with Renee Erickson, author of Getaway, Food and Drink to Transport You. So Diana Henry wrote, wrote a foreword for this this new book of yours. And she, yeah. she says in the foreword, and we love her, we've had her on our show. Um, she says, best. I think this, she really is. She says, I think this book <laughs> is going to be the beginning of a shift for a lot of cookbooks because this is a food book. It's a story of Renee. It's a story of your community, the people who produce for you and your own love for food which prompted me to think about like, do you think about your cookbooks being groundbreaking or like impacting the genre in some way? Because I was thinking about your first book about a whale and a walrus, which I think if folks are familiar is like beautifully illustrated on the cover and that in itself was, feels like a pretty bold choice when this was published. And even to this day for like an American cookbook because most publishers would say you need a photo of the food like you got to do that and and then in the same way with the second book this format of like we really see like with a lot of chef books like where the influence for your recipes are coming from but to structure it in this way where it's so focused on place Mm -hmm. and the influence of that place I was just curious how you think about like your cookbooks being really sort of unique in that sense within the broader industry that feels very um, like big to me. I um, <laughs> no, it's okay. You know, I if you you know if you were to ask people that um, either work with me or know have known me for a very long time, they all kind of joke that like I don't. Um, I'm very confident in like what I you know like what I like or what I don't like um, in regards to, and it's not like like or don't like. It's like what I want you know, do I want purple flowers or yellow flowers? You know, like that, you know, I want yellow flowers kind of thing. So that kind of idea, like of being really decisive, I guess is, was something that um, was really challenging on my first book, because like you said, the cover was, um, you know, from left field. I think a lot of the books that I'm really drawn to are European books or particularly British Mm -hmm. books. And that the way that they're designed and the the idea of it is um, it feels you know, more sophisticated and a little less like pandering, you know, like it's not just like, Hey, look, this is what's in my book. Um, and I love that. Like, I love that it has a very distinct perspective. I think it's, um, you know, wonderful, you know, like who wants a bunch of books that all look the same. Um, especially when the person inside that's writing this book is clearly like a very unique thing or person, you know, like their, their vision and the world that they're, you know, from is theirs. And and that should hopefully translate into all of it, not just, you know, the recipes. And, um, yeah. and so, yeah, so the, and then fast forward to the second book, like it was that it was hard to get to decide the cover in particular, because, um, I think because of my first book, there's, you know, even for me, like there was a idea where I'm like, do I have to have an illustrated cover again? Cause I, uh, you know, like I still really, you know, and, you know, I think if I could, if I had a, you know, if I could do two covers, I would probably have done that because I, you know, it's really hard to pick, but I really, um, I think because of the idea of the book and the, um, 
experience of travel and trying to like evoke that the um, the photo was was I think the correct choice, um, but it was still hard because I you know like obviously there's a lot of illustrations in the book by Jeffrey who did the cover of my first book. Um, I you know to, to, to a long answer is like I don't I don't think of my books as like earth shattering in any way. I think of them as you know, the, uh, a f- good fortune of getting to write them and tell a story about things that I care about, um, and include people like Jeffrey Mitchell, who did the illustrations of both my first book and then these, um, in it, because I think owning restaurants and having, um, you know, teams of people, like it's really, um, it's not about just me. It's about all of it. It's about, you know, um, you know, the artists that we get to work with, obviously a photographer, Jim, who's fantastic. Um, Sarah, who was writing with me, she is from Seattle and, and is, um, you know, like very much in tune with me, obviously me now, but um, in traveling and that sort of thing, like we have a very similar kind of um, pace and what we do. And so um, sure. showcasing all of that, I think was more important to me than I, I did. I don't think of it as like, you know, that what, like what Diana said, like that kind of, that feels a little too um, big, you know, or, or important to say that about my books. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's so like, yeah. it's, you just put, you know, I think, I, I think being kind of like an artist by trade, if there was anything um, you create things and um, you know, kind of wait to see what happens with them. Like I don't, you know, I think in restaurants are that way too, where, you know, I have an idea of what I want it to be like, and you open the door, all these people walk in and like 80 of them want something, you're going to eventually rethink like what you're doing if you don't have it. So I think the same thing goes with this is like, it's going to go out into the world. And I hope people, um, you know, obviously, I hope they love it. But I hope it's, um, you know, inspires them to cook, inspires them to travel, inspires them to slow down a little bit. Um, yeah. Sorry to put a big lofty question like that that's on you. Kind of, I was yeah, like, that's, that's like, <laughs> that, that sounds like like a big deal. I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, we are a show on cookbooks. So yeah. before we close with our little game, I did just want to ask you if there are other authors or other cookbooks that have been really influential to you over the course of your career, both you know as a restaurateur and now as a, a, a person with multiple cookbooks under your portfolio too. Yeah. Um, many I'm a, um, well, obviously Diana is one. She's someone who Diana Henry, she's, you know, like a goddess when it comes to, you know, aesthetics and, um, ease with food and like, it's like, yeah, I just, I'm so, you know, long before I ever met her, I had all of her books because she just seemed like someone who I wanted to know and hang out with and eat all of her food. So she's been really, um, you know, a real big influence to me. Um, I would say, you know, I'm a huge fan of um, a lot of Italian books. So lately I really love Amico Davies's books. She's um, Australian living in, in Tuscany and um, books that are, you know, make me want to get on a plane or at least, you know, for an hour, I think I'm sitting in this place and, you know, wondering about a restaurant in Florence. Um, right. What other books? I am like looking around, like what's in my kitchen right now. Um, there are, you know, there are all these Europeans. I love, um, you know, a book that I think actually inspired 
the idea of this book is um, Margot Henderson's book. She has Rochelle Canteen in London, and we talk about her um, in the book and her restaurants. She, um, I got, to, we had this amazing lunch with her that was um, was supposed to be us having a glass of wine and talking, and ended up being us sitting for four hours at Rochelle yeah. Canteen having this epic lunch, and then the whole kitchen staff came out, and um, you know, it's that kind of experience that you dream of, where you're like nothing is planned, but then you have this moment that is um, beyond what you could have imagined. Um, right. Her book is um, You're All Invited, and it talks about their catering company and then co- also just like the way she, you know, hosts people when they come over. And so that to me is a really, you know, I think it's a um, it's a bold book in that it's not um, flashy, you know, like, and I think her mm-hmm. food is that way too. Like it's very pared down and you know, probably in many ways simple or at least perceived simple, but also perfect. You know, like you could, you know, have that kind of dinner if your friends came over kind of thing so that it's easier than this elaborate, you know, to do. Um, Yeah. So those are, you know, I think more recently and obviously Diana forever now, like loving her books. So, yeah. I couldn't yeah, believe when I asked her to write the forward, I, I thought I was like, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know. Am I crazy? And she of course was like immediately like, absolutely. So yeah. Yes. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, we always end with a little game. So I thought we would be of course, very inspired by your new book, get away. Um, and so let's I'm pretend we're on a little, this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no need to be nervous. You'll be great. This will be fun. Um, let's pretend we're on a little globe trotting trip, right? We're circling okay. the world and we're going to stop in a couple of your favorite cities and get away here. And as you do, you rent an apartment. When you land, you arrive, and someone's already done the grocery shopping for you. So you walk in, and there's a a basket, kind of like a chopped basket, right? You open it up, Mm -hmm. and here's the ingredients you have to work with to cook a meal um, in this city and tell us what you might make and and, uh, find inspiring there. How does that sound? That sounds great. Okay, so we've got four types of cards. I'll draw one of each. Um, and we'll do a couple rounds from for these cities. So let's start with Paris. Let's no, let's okay. start with Rome actually, because okay. Rome mm-hmm. is the first chapter and and where you I think first really fell in in love with food. Um, so the protein we have is tuna. Okay. We have um, green beans as our vegetable. <laughs> the flavor we're working with is chives. And then we have a secret ingredient deck, so we'll we'll see if what we get for a secret ingredient, which is vanilla bean paste. So this is what is yeah. sitting on on your counter when you arrive at your Airbnb in Rome. Right. <laughs> what might you make for dinner um, that night? <laughs> With vanilla bean paste. Um, well, do they all have to be on the same dish? No, no you can make it's a dinner. couple courses okay, or good. something. Yeah. So I would do probably, um, you know, I would probably like put olive oil and salt um, and maybe like, well, maybe just salt all over the tuna and sear it um, and slice it really thin. And then the green beans, I would make like a super simple, like blanch them and serve them cold with the tuna. Um, Uh And I would make probably like chive aioli. Okay. To go with that. And then um, I would make a vanilla bean paste ice cream. 
oh, <laughs> for dessert. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> um, if there was an ice cream maker. Otherwise, I would make, I don't know what else I would make. I would maybe make, depending on what time of year it would be, like vanilla bean paste, like soft whipped cream with fruit or something like that. Oh, sure. Cool. Yeah. I was just looking at strawberries the other day and I was like, they're not quite local yet, but I really can't wait to eat them. So maybe strawberries dunked in the whipped cream. Oh yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. And I, I know you write about Dory Greenspan in, oh, in your book. God. You could also call her up and see if she's got an ice cream maker or something in her I little know, apartment right? there. <laughs> yeah. she's, she's insane. I love that yes. woman. Uh, let's do one more. Do you want to do Baja or should we close with Seattle, your hometown? Let's do Seattle. Let's do Seattle. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the vegetable that we're working with. So I guess you're returning home now from your, your global yeah, trip and here's what's in your kitchen. <laughs> Yay. So we have sweet potatoes. Oh, okay. The protein we're working with is chickpea. Yeah. Uh, for flavor, we've got bay leaves and our secret ingredient is uh, flour tortillas. Oh, okay. Interesting. No kidding. Um, you like the chickpea one. I've, I've heard this one before. Um, flour tortillas, bay leaves, and sweet potatoes. This one's hard. Um, yeah. Sweet potatoes, I've been trying this last year. I tried really hard to love them. I maybe don't still. Okay. But, yeah. Um, I would make chickpeas i would um basically like blend, you know cook them essentially and then dry them out and make like cook them in the oven so they get hot and crispy so they'd be like sure. snacks while we uh-huh. waited for our sweet potatoes to steam <laughs> tons of bay leaves um and i would okay. make um like sweet potato tacos basically so yeah. if i had it i would put um like lots of pickled jalapenos and maybe like chipotle crema on it on sure. a taco, which would be delicious. Yeah. That maybe. sounds great. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same sweet potato taco. I don't know that that's like my favorite homecoming meal, but you know, it would be filling and that would be nice. But it you know, I think, filling, all, yeah. yeah, I do. Um, I have been in my quest to fall in love with sweet potatoes more. Um, I've been putting lots of pickled or like spicy pickled mm. hot things on them, which I really do like. So I think the, uh, you know, one day I might make this and then I'll take a photo and send it to you. I'll be like, yeah, it, is. Yeah. it actually yeah. was good. <laughs> yeah. Let me know. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think that's smart. Yeah. Sweet potato taco mm. with, with some spicy pickled stuff. Yeah, I think would, totally. would round that out nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Right. Yes. Well, that was so much fun. Thank you so much, Renee, for joining us on Salt and Spine. My pleasure, Brian. I really appreciate the time. And I love, you know, I love talking about food and especially about travel. So thank you for hosting me. I really appreciate it. Of course. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. You can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on our Substack, which you can find at saltandspine.substack.com. You'll find featured recipes from Renee Erickson's Getaway on our Substack. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. 
We also love to see your ratings on iTunes. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and our producer, Clea Worster. Our kitchen correspondent is Sarah Varney. The Salt and Spine original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is typically recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen is now offering both digital and in-person classes for home cooks. You can find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Edible San Francisco, to Celia at Omnivore Books, and to Monique at Hardcover Cook. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love.